Our podcast touches on tough real-world issues like suicide, depression, and mental illness. If you're struggling with these issues, you can find support by texting PODCAST to 741-741 to connect with a crisis counselor. Or visit www.jedfoundation.org to learn about getting help in your community. Reach out to a friend or family member. We urge you to get the help you need. And we've provided a list of resources in our show notes as well. If you're a minor, we strongly encourage you to listen to our podcast with a trusted adult. And just a quick warning, there is some swearing in this episode. Welcome to Could Be Better TBH, where we have honest conversations about the hard shit in our lives. I'm your host, Stacey London. Self-care is all the rage these days. We know we need to get sleep, exercise, eat more kale, or whatever. And truthfully, there's real science behind this. There's a connection between how we care for ourselves and how we show up in the world. For some people, caring for their bodies comes with some extra work, and sometimes that's a lot of extra work. For people who are living with chronic illnesses, that work often happens at home, in private, isolated from the rest of the world. Because chronic illnesses are physically hard and sometimes completely invisible. That can take a toll on one's mental health. When it comes to living and thriving with a chronic illness, there is no better person I could talk to than our next guest, Nitika Chopra. Nitika is a chronic illness advocate and founder of Chronicon, the first ever conference that works to elevate visibility for chronic illness patients. Nitika was diagnosed with several autoimmune diseases when she was young, and her illnesses left her overwhelmed with pain and insecurity that carried into adulthood. But as she is one of my closest friends, trust me when I say, hearing her story will leave you wholly inspired. Hi, Nitty. Hi, honey. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? Nitika and I are old, close friends, so I'm very excited to have her on the podcast today. I'm so thrilled. I have the biggest smile on my face because I'm so happy to be here. I know. Can't you hear it in her voice? (laughs) I have a big smile on my face, too. Can't you hear it in mine? (laughs) Really? It sounds like (laughs) Um, So Nitty and I have so much in common, and one of the reasons, actually, really, the reason that brought us together was our autoimmune illnesses. Isn't that kind of crazy? It's weird. Yeah. Um, we both have psoriasis and we both have uh, psoriatic arthritis. Um, yay, team. <laughs> and it really was one of the reasons that we first started talking. But unlike me, Nitika really has made a career, right, out of becoming like um, almost like a self-care advocate and a chronic illness advocate for sure. So let's talk a little bit about your history. You were diagnosed with severe psoriasis at 10 years old. Yeah. I didn't get diagnosed with um, severe psoriasis. I got severe psoriasis at 11, but I was diagnosed at four. Yeah, I didn't even realize until I started meeting more people that you could get it that young. I, I had no idea. I didn't realize that anybody else in the world had it. That too. Yeah. That too. I, I didn't know. It's I thought incredibly I was the only person in the world, right? Yeah. Um, and psoriatic arthritis at 19. Now that's young, right? Yeah. Because I think I probably had it earlier than I was diagnosed with it. For sure. Um, I probably had it in my mid-30s, but I wasn't diagnosed till my early 40s. Wow. So 19 was quite young. Um, Tell us a little bit about how that manifested in your body 
uh, what happened? Yeah, so when I was 10, um, there were so many things happening in my life that already made me feel kind of othered in a lot of ways. Mm. And I always bring that up because uh, chronic conditions can make people feel so isolated and so othered, but there were already so many things in my life that were creating that for me. And then I ended up getting this diagnosis. I remember I had this little dime-sized spot on the side of my arm, and I was kind of like, what is that? Oh, no big deal. And it's sort of this thing where before I know it in my memory, like a year later, 90% of my body was covered in psoriasis. And so I don't exactly remember the month that it progressed to a certain way, but it kind of just took over. And it was really devastating. And it was confusing. And it, you know, I now have so many words for it. But mm. at the time, I didn't have any. Mm. And Well, 10 um, years old. Yeah. How many words do you have anyway? Yeah, right? <laughs> seriously. Yeah, you have no words. And also, I don't think it's obvious, like, how much you're just managing, first of all, your physical conditions. I think now we understand that autoimmune conditions have a myriad of other things with it. Like, we get so exhausted or, you know, the inflammation in our body causes other issues. But at the time, people still really looked at it as it's just a skin condition. Like, what's the big deal? Right. Even though it was so severe. And then when I was 19, I was like in my dorm room. I had just tried this medication because my psoriasis had gotten so bad. It was sort of my first attempt at trying real Western medicine because I thought maybe that could help. And it stopped working after a little while, and it triggered the psoriatic arthritis to come out. Because a lot of times doctors will say sometimes that is dormant in your body, and it just hasn't come out yet. For certain people, I know that's not the case for everyone, but I think it was for me. And so, yeah, so I was, like, trying to open the inside bag of a box of, like, Lucky Charms, which I shouldn't have been eating anyway, but whatever. Mm, um, different but story. We, I mean, was, at that point, uh, look, you know, let's be clear. Yeah. A lot of people didn't understand there was any totally. connection between autoimmune and Diet. Absolutely not. My mom would always try to tell me that there was, and I would be like, until a doctor tells me that there is, I'm going to eat as many Twix bars as I want, and I don't care. Um, you were a brat. Yeah, I, I also know Nitika's mom, and she's a delight. But anyway. <laughs> All right. You know what? No, she is. She is <laughs> she's awesome. She's so sweet. Um, but yeah, I was a total brat, and I just like wanted it. My, I was a teenager. Right, of course, you were a teenager. You know? so, and that was like 20 years ago at this point. So... Yeah, so I was trying to open the inside bag of a box of cereal, and I couldn't. My hands wouldn't work. And I was just like, well, this is weird. Like, I, that doesn't make any sense. And that sort of kicked off, you know, me going to different specialists. Um, it kicked off me having this trajectory with my health that was very different than I ever imagined. Like, my bones started to deform, and I started to not really be able to walk without severe pain for about five or six years. And it was just, like, all-encompassing and kind of devastating, to be honest, yeah. at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I don't think that a lot of people understand that with something like psoriatic arthritis, it can be very similar to rheumatoid arthritis, which people know and understand, I think, a lot more. But it's a very different treatment. Sometimes if you if doctors don't know that you have psoriasis, they'll treat it as rheumatoid arthritis, which is the wrong treatment altogether. So mm -hmm. that's one problem. And then um, a lot of people don't know that with autoimmune diseases, there are a lot of comorbidities, which typically are heart issues. And much more common is depression, yeah. right? Mental health and autoimmune diseases are very intertwined. Mm -hmm. They can't prove that they're, you know, causally connected, but they're certainly connected. And which makes sense. Um, psoriasis is 
so devastating, right? Yeah, it's so devastating. And I remember doctors used to always say to me, because I was just committed from the very beginning to try to be positive, even though I didn't really know what that looked like, or I didn't know about self-help or whatever. I really tried Doctors would always tell me that a lot of times their patients like wish they had cancer or something yeah. else that would, and you know, we wouldn't wish that on anyone, but something that you couldn't see, right? And something like I literally would feel like my wounds were just out there for everyone to see. And it was really, really hard. And I think people just really underestimate how devastating that can be for how, people. How psychologically? Yeah. Well, you share on your site that the first 15 years of your diagnosis left you overwhelmed with pain, insecurity, and that you did battle depression. Oh, yeah. Um, which I certainly have on and off throughout my life, which was related directly to psoriasis and then not directly related to psoriasis. Can you talk a little bit about that experience? Yeah. I mean, for me, you know, being diagnosed at 10, first of all, I was always like, I was Indian. I was in like a community that was predominantly white. So that was always a concern and issue for me. And then I ended up being like chubbier than some of the other girls. And then you add on my skin looks absolutely cray. It was just like, I had no basis for things to believe about myself. Yeah. Yeah. Or just things to be like, oh, but this is great about me or this is great about me because I felt like every time I looked in the mirror or every time I compared myself to someone sitting next to me in my classroom, which is super normal, it was just a stark difference. Like there were things going on with my body that just made me feel like there's no way that this could be a reflection of me being a good person or me being okay. Like there must be something really, really, really wrong with me. And I carried that through my life for, I would say, you know, close to 20 years. Like the first 10 to 15 years, like until I was about 25, were probably the worst of it. Mm -hmm. And then the next, you know, five years were a bit of shedding and working through that. But it's super common. And I, I just yeah. want to stop you right mm-hmm. there because, you know, it's very easy to say that in a couple of sentences. Oh, yeah. That takes a lot more work yeah. that I think our audiences need to hear a little bit more yeah. about because that kind of otherness mm-hmm. is so complicated. Yeah. It's so complex to feel different just by the color of your skin, mm-hmm. just by thinking your, your body isn't right. Mm-hmm. But then to be encumbered with illness, Mm -hmm. with an illness that's so visible that people think that you're contagious. I know when I was a kid and it was really terrible, people told me I looked like the elephant man. Mm -hmm. They didn't want to sit next to me. All sorts of things that I stopped going to school. Like for a long time, I would get panic attacks. I was so afraid of people bullying me that I just stopped going. Wow. So I understand, obviously, that this is not, you know, this has become so deeply ingrained in the way that you see yourself Let's talk a little bit about the process of unpacking that because when somebody, especially young people, feel so deeply insecure Mm -hmm. and unsure of themselves, the work of becoming more confident and more self-assured, let's say you're not even being bullied, Mm -hmm. right? Let's say this is all just your internal voice just by comparing yourself with those around you. How do you start to do that work? Yeah, well, 
I mean, I think it's really interesting that, first of all, the fact that you were able to not go to school, I, there's a part of me that's like, I wish my mom would be okay with me not going to school. Well, but I mean, that remember, I would, no, I but, would get a hundred feet from the door, scream and throw up. Yeah. And my mom and was, was like just like, obvious. this is too much. Yeah. Like, I can't handle a child in this totally. state. You know, I mean, it wasn't like, it wasn't, I don't want to go. No, totally. It <laughs> yeah. was a serious thing. I totally get that. But I guess what it brought up for me in hearing that is just that, even though my condition was so visual, I feel like now looking back, it should be so obvious. No one understood what I was feeling in a way that, you know, when I would say, like, I was really bad at school. I never right. did well at school. I couldn't concentrate. I would scratch in the middle of class. My pants would, like, bleed, bleed through. Yeah. Like, every morning, my mom had to change my sheets because I would scratch myself to death almost in the middle of the night. Like, it was so layered. And the bullying was the easiest part of all of it. A lot of the part that was so devastating was just this internal battle of everywhere I look, there's something wrong with me. Like, I'm not doing well in school. I can't date, like, properly like other girls are. Whatever. Every single thing you hit as a kid, you know? And I was every milestone, every sure. milestone, yeah, and every marker to be like, okay, this is what the kids are doing, or this is like a healthy kid, or something like that. And one of the things I really loved in my life as a kid was soccer. I like, I'm a horrible athlete, but <laughs> I loved soccer. I felt like I could just be free on the soccer field. And when I got sick, I had to quit because I couldn't physically do it anymore. So they're just things like that that were so layered. So yeah, it is easy now because I've been talking about this for like, you know, 15 years in different levels. Of course, I've come out with it more now lately, but it's like wrapped up in a bow so that I am not like crying on the podcast for half of it. And I can, you know, share about it in a way that's more articulate. But the process was multi-multi-layered. Probably a lot of it was also just feeling all of that initially yeah. and honoring the fact that like, this is not okay. I am not okay. I ended up going through like a sort of transformational program, like a self-help program when I was 19, actually. Soon after I was diagnosed with psoriatic arthritis, I happened to meet someone who told me about the program and I was really open to it. And I hadn't been surrounded by any kind of self-help conversation as a kid. So that was really helpful because it sort of gave me like an outlet, I guess you could say. Mm. Like I felt like my conversations, even though I was still really struggling, my conversations were with people who wanted to be more positive, and that was really helpful, you right. know? Although what I take away from that yeah. <laughs> is that you were open. Yes, I was. Yeah. You were open. I was. Without any prompting or anybody ever giving you the opportunity to be open, mm -hmm. you were still open. Yeah. So that's the first piece of takeaway. Totally. Keep going. Yeah. I mean, I was in so much emotional and physical pain. I really, I was open. I was just like, this can't be the best of my life. Like, there has to be something else. And I know, like, not everyone's going to jam with this next point, but <laughs> I am super spiritual. And that's just been... It like moves me to tears to think about even, you know, because it's been such a huge pillar in my life. And it's not something that my parents even are. Like if you talk to my parents, they're like, oh, yeah, whatever. Maybe there's a God. Like they don't really <laughs> like they're not super into it, you know, which is weird because my grandfather, my dad's dad is actually very spiritual. So I feel like it skipped a generation or something. Mm. But I am very spiritual and I feel like. It's not just like something I do for fun. Like it is a fundamental pillar when I have been in the moments when I 
wanted to take my life when I was a kid, and I really just didn't understand why I was alive, the only thing that saved me was believing in something bigger than myself. And even to this day, although I'm much emotionally more healthy, it's really when I'm in my lowest moment, it's the only thing. Like, I feel like I have to just give my life over to a higher power, to God, the universe, whatever you want to call it. So that's been really huge for me. And then the process, just to go back to the nitty gritty of it, is like when I was 19 and I did that course, then I started to be open to sort of having more of those discussions, seeing what's really there for me in that community. I became a life coach. You know, I just started to kind of take one step at a time. I think Mm -hmm. that's also a big part of it. Sometimes we're so low that like we want to jump up so high so fast and I think, you know, we've talked about like authenticity and like what's true and real so much. Especially in the age of social media, right? Totally. There's this whole concept of, you've heard me talk about this all the time, like there's cultivated authenticity, which is not necessarily the same as authenticity. No, or like spiritual bypassing. Right. Which it's just, it's so easy to get down that trap like they call it the pink cloud like when you first learn about spirituality or you first learn about authenticity or self-help you're just like oh my god I see what I can manifest and I can manifest anything and it's like this pink cloud and, and you're like shut up <laughs> shut up with your of, pink cloud yeah and kind of because it's dangerous actually yeah. um so I had to go through some of that too because I was young I was impressionable I was hungry but I sort of found that you know, having stronger mental health and the ability to just be really present in my life in every single moment, that was kind of probably the biggest saving grace. I used to always say, like, love is possible in every single moment. And don't look at me like that. Um, I, I, I'm smiling, everybody. I'm smiling. I don't know what she means okay. by I don't know, okay, I don't okay, know how I'm looking at her. Okay, fine. Um, that was my own insecurity, maybe. But I love is possible in every single moment. And I would repeat that as an internal mantra all the time because it just was like an anchor for me. And that means like love is possible in every moment, meaning I can pick a food for lunch that's going to be more loving to my body. I can hang out with someone in the next moment that's going to be kinder to my self-esteem. I, You know, like right. those kinds of things. Well, actually, I'm looking at an article that you wrote about. And some of the things that you say are create a self-care routine, learn to forgive yourself. A lot of people with chronic illnesses get upset that they are, you know, they can't do what everybody else can do, right? Like That's a huge one um, I didn't I didn't mention. I always say that more than self-love, starting with self-compassion mm. is powerful. Mm. Because when I was learning about all this self-help stuff and everybody was like, oh, just love yourself. I wanted to be like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. I was just like, no, like, go fuck yourself, honestly. That's yeah. like how I felt on the inside. Because I was just like, my body is covered with scales. My right. bones, I hate it. Yeah, I hate it right now. Yeah. And it wasn't authentic for me to be like, oh, my scales are so gorgeous, you know, or my bones deforming is so great. Like, no, it wasn't. And that's not just depression, right? I mean, I guess this is a part of depression is the anger. I mean, I was filled with rage. I was so angry 
And I used to make all these deals with the universe. I'm like, you know, let me gain 60 pounds, take all my teeth, whatever it is. Be careful what you wish for, by the way. But um, because I just wanted my skin to be clear. Mm -hmm. But you also talk about, you know, let experiences guide you. Yeah. Step into the unknown, like, you know, try and kind of push your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I really loved and want to talk about is that you said to build a community. And this is sort of a two-part thing I want to talk about. But we just need to take a quick break here just so we can learn a little bit more about our sponsors. Crisis Text Line provides free confidential support via text message 24-7. If you need support, text PODCAST to 741-741. And if you want to help people work through the challenges in life that could be better, TBH, visit crisistextline.org slash volunteer to apply to become a crisis counselor. JED is the leading national nonprofit working to protect emotional health and prevent suicide for teens and young adults across the country. For more information, go to jedfoundation.org. First, you shared the pictures of your psoriasis at its worst on Instagram. Now, this is the opposite of cultivated authenticity. This is the opposite of the filtered, look at me with no makeup, right? This is the opposite of like the bullshit, you know, let me just, you know, scoop out my waist a little bit with some photo app, but look at me, I'm all natural. You posted the unvarnished pictures of you at the psoriasis at its absolute worst. That was you at your most vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And you said you never wanted anybody to see them. So what made you decide to do it? And what were you hoping to convey? Yeah, I mean, you know, as one of my good friends, like you and I talked about that moment, like months and months on end before I even did it. And I tried to let people know about that. Like I get emotional even thinking about it. But It was a moment that I was, like, afraid of for, like, 17 years. Like, those pictures, when I finally shared them, it wasn't, like, fun for me. And I think that's, like, a big difference between um, what people try to get out of that forced authenticity versus, like, what I was hoping would happen. A big part of why I did it was because I felt like I was talking about chronic illness and I was talking about psoriasis and my journey. And everybody kept looking at my pictures on Instagram, which were honest, you know, like it's not like they were like some fancy pictures. They're just me, right? But you're also totally beautiful <laughs> and really pretty. But they were like, yeah, they were vibrant, right? It's like vibrant. I'm smiling. I'm talking at this place. I'm doing this thing. And that's all real. Yeah. But I was like, I felt like there was a barrier to how much I could really help someone. Yeah. Because I kept saying for years, I've been saying, guys, you don't understand. <laughs> It was real bad. Like, I know I don't look like it now, but it was really bad. And I just, I actually, one of the turning points, I was feeling that. And then one of the turning points was this woman who I know, she came up to me at an event once. I had just been featured in an article and they were talking about my journey. And she was like, you know, it was really inspiring to read. But then I looked at all of your pictures, which were just like headshot type pictures, right? Editorial pictures. And she was like, it's really hard for me to imagine that you ever went through something like that. Mm. And I just felt like if this is stopping me from being able to really help someone. And connect with them. Like, I got to put my ego aside and I have to just do it. It was so hard. It was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. 
because it wasn't about getting attention. It was like probably one of the most selfless things that I've ever done mm-hmm. because I could have just kept on being, you know, glamour shots. Right. <laughs> like, you know. So yeah, so that was really the thing. That was the reason why I did it. It took me a very, very long time. I never wanted to talk about my health really before. It was always something that was like hidden on my about page, you know, just so people knew where I was coming from. But I never wanted it to be gratuitous. I never wanted people to be like, oh, like, look at me. Like, look how sad I am. (laughs) Or like, you know, like that pity party is so gross, you know? Like, I don't want you to care about me and reinvested in me because you feel sorry for me. Like, that's gross, you know? But what was the reaction? Oh, God, it was major. Yeah. Uh, It was overwhelming. I mean, even to this day, sometimes I'll go back to that post and just like really seep myself in the people who wrote and were just like, wow, like, I've had alopecia for my whole life, and I've been terrified for anyone to see me without my wig because I feel so gross without it. And seeing these pictures makes me feel like I can just be who I need to be. And like thousands, literally thousands of stories like that in the comments. And and I had a lot of people that were in my life that, you know, I mean, you're one of the few friends that I'd even shown those pictures to beforehand. I don't do that. You know, I've dated people that have like never seen the pictures. And so... My Some of my friends were even like exactly like what I was hoping. They were like, wow, I never knew psoriasis could be like that. I didn't understand how bad things could get. And now I have a lot more compassion yeah. for what people go through. You know, it was a monumental moment for sure. It was an amazing moment. <laughs> and the reason that I think it was so important was because, again, that's unvarnished truth. That's not cultivated. That's not doing something, again, for attention-seeking. And I think that the way that you express it is just so beautiful. But it also was the start of what I think you talk about doing in your journey of having a chronic illness is building a community. And building a community comes from being, I think, truthful and honest about having a chronic illness and finding like-minded people, right? I mean, it's sort of like any any 12-step program, right? You want to go into rooms where you're speaking the same language as everybody else. Mm-hmm. And that could be about anything. But you want to talk to people who absolutely relate, who can be like, amen, hallelujah. Can I get an amen to anything that you're talking about? So what did you go and do? (laughs) Well, first of all, I agree with what you said so wholeheartedly. Um, It's a very humbling experience to be in a room of people that know what you're talking about when you feel like you've been the only one for so long. Yeah. And almost speak in shorthand. It's not like you have to explain yourself, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. So yeah, from that moment over the year, I kind of collected a lot of different intel and connections and started to connect with the community more. And I realized that there was a really big gap for, you know, that no one was really talking to us. That's really what I realized, that although mental health, thankfully, has become much more on the forefront, a lot of celebrities are getting behind talking about it. And, you know, we're having this podcast here and, you know, all of that. It's been great. There's a larger conversation around chronic illness. You know, the National Health Council says that 157 million people will have a chronic condition by this year. So it's really, it's profound. It's not a small, it's like over half the population. It's not a small number. So, And also a mm-hmm. lot of those chronic illnesses aren't ones that you can see. Absolutely. Invisible illness is a huge part of that. So I decided to create Chronic Con 
Um, and yeah, and it was, it's been such a labor of love. So um, tell us about it. What, so, what does Chronicon mean? So Chronicon is really here to elevate the lives of those living with a chronic illness. And there's so many different parts to it, but really that's at the heart of it. I want to create experiences and eventually, you know, online communities, apps, all those kinds of things eventually that will serve that community. But right now we're focused on a hero event every year, which is where we have people come together. Right now we're in New York City. We had you as our keynote last year. Yeah, it's true. It was so good. People were like, oh my God, Stacey London was ridiculously amazing because you were so vulnerable on stage. Like you just... Just, it was unbelievable having you there. Um, you. Yeah, it's true. But it really was an amazing event. But <laughs> let's just be honest. And also, I'd like just to talk about the origins of when Nitika has been, you know, trying to really come up with ideas to serve this community for a long time. And as her friend, I feel like she has brought many of them to me. All of I'm which. laughing right now because <laughs> literally what Stacy is trying to say as a friend and be nice is that I would always be like, hi, Stacy, can I do this thing? What do you think about this? And she would be like, no, call me when you have a good idea and like basically <laughs> hang up. So, <laughs> and then we, I came to her with Chronicon and it was a very different, very different response. Yeah. No, I said, this is it. I truly believe that Chronicon is your life's work. I believe that this is your calling. And also, after seeing the blood, sweat, and tears that you put into it, and to see the people who were at this event and the way that they responded to all of your speakers and to all of the things that you put into this, it was the answer to so many people's prayers. Mm. And the following that it has gotten and the press that it has gotten, it's like, yep, no, you got it. It's like, this is what that 10-year-old Nitika needed her whole life. You found it for her. Mm, and you. it really, it is such a special, special thing. And it's so interesting to me because it's one of the things that I keep realizing over and over again, the more interviews we do for this, is that out of the hardships that all of the our guests have experienced have come some of their greatest ideas and their greatest accomplishments, mm -hmm. which is something that really I hope our listeners take away from wherever they are right now is because life can feel completely shitty. It can feel like there's no reason to be in it. But from these difficult hardships are some of the most incredible things. And Chronicon is just, you know, one of many. I mean, I expect that you'll come up with more things. But creating that community, you have really given a safe space and a safe haven to those who are struggling with things that either are invisible illnesses or are chronic illnesses. What do you see going forward? You know, you were mentioning some of the things you'd like to do for Chronicon, but like big sky thinking, like <laughs> what would you like it to be? Yeah, well, I think about that number a lot, the 157 million people in this country who have a chronic illness. And a lot of times I think about how there's a lot of similarities between this community and where the curvy community used to be, like the plus size community mm -hmm. that no one was really talking to women that were plus sized and they kind of were hiding them in the closet and just saying like, maybe we'll talk to you every once in a while or there was a lot of tokenism going on. Mm -hmm. And so I see that as where the chronic illness conversation is like, we're not really, you know, being spoken to in the mainstream media in industries where we're actually getting the resources and the different, you know, clothes and resources and things that 
are important to us. Right. You know? Beauty products. Beauty, or, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, oh, you're sick, so you probably don't care about those things, which is so not true. Could not be farther from the truth. Um, so I see that. And it's hard to say like exactly all the things that I'm going to put in that space, but that is the space that I'm constantly sort of meditating on and trying to figure out like what is this community want the most? I think right now the next event is going to be this fall in 2020, so in New York City, and I'm really excited for that. So if you're in New York City or you can get to New York City, I highly recommend going to Chronicon. Yeah. But I guess also, yeah. Nitty, for those people who are really struggling right now, aside from getting themselves to Chronicon, <laughs> yeah. um, to be with like-minded people, yeah. what do you do when, whether you're suffering from physical pain or sort of, you know, physical inability in some way, I guess that's sort of the way to put it, things that really limit your physical abilities, you know, that really can lead to depression. Whether it's causal or not causal, it makes so much sense. You have a chronic illness. In my case, like, or your case, when you're covered in scales, you don't want anybody to see you. You kind of become a shut-in. You don't move around a lot, so you don't get a ton of exercise. Of course, maybe that's why there's a heart disease correlation. Mm Certainly you get depressed and, you know, you don't move around. Totally. So all of those things make sense. But you were open and curious about finding ways to kind of relieve some of that pain. What do you recommend for somebody who doesn't feel open? Yeah. How do you create curiosity out of pain? How do you create openness out of pain? How do you create a sense of wonder about life when, you know, somebody isn't feeling like they want theirs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's such a big question. That's so important. You know, when I started being curious, I wasn't like really open on the inside. Like I was a little bit open, but it was really out of necessity. Otherwise, I would just sink into the earth kind of thing. So I really think that conversation that we were having before about compassion, as much as like I feel like someone might listen to that and like roll their eyes or be frustrated by it. It's honestly the safest, kindest place to start, especially when you have physical things going on that make it hard for you to physically push forward. So I would be lying in bed. I would be unable to move. I couldn't hold a job because I was so sick. And I would start with taking my body and taking the parts of my body that I really never interacted with because they were so the opposite of what I wish they would be. And I would just start talking to them. And it literally looks like I would take some lotion maybe and like put it on a part of my arm. And as I was rubbing it into my arm, I would say things like, I'm sorry you're so uncomfortable. Or I'm sorry this is so hard for you. It makes me so emotional to think about because it was so, so hard. Um, You know, it's not, it doesn't have to be a big step. That right there is a huge deal. To go from hating this body and hating the fact that it's showing up this way to just the gentle, kind, loving nudge from within yourself, you know? So it's one thing to have maybe a mom or a partner or someone or best friend that can come over every once in a while and nurture you in that way. But when you can really create that muscle for yourself, it is life-changing. And it's not something that you should put pressure on yourself about, that you should be able to do that. You know, you do it once and then tomorrow you're like cured. You're a pro. No, it took me like 
decades of doing that. You know, after doing it for a few years, it was easier. And then there was another angle that I had to kind of get connected to. And then that became easier. It's just a layered, you know, journey, really. But I think a lot of times we start that journey, we start that like, quote unquote, self-love conversation, and we're going through something incredibly real. And it can feel frustrating. And that rage and that anger, that was another thing. So when I said, I used to always say it starts with rage, that compassion is there and it's important. But I actually think really getting in touch with the fact that you're angry about where you are is so powerful. I have a friend who... um you know, she went through a cancer diagnosis. She had to get her all her female organs removed at the age of 19. Mm. And so she can't have kids. And she was going through the adoption process, you know, in her late 30s. And that didn't go very well. She didn't end up getting to adopt a child. And she would come to me. She's like a super positive person, you know. So she would come to me like, I feel like I should just be like, okay. Or, I, you know, I think of the positives or whatever. And I just looked at her and I was like, girl, you are pissed. <laughs> like, just be pissed. Like, if you have to be pissed for two weeks straight and you're messy about it and you're pissed, like, don't hurt people if you can help it. But, like, you know, just allow yourself to be angry. You know, journal about it. Scream into a pillow. I love to sing. So I'll sing, like, really angry music <laughs> when I'm really pissed and get the energy out of my body. It's funny. I've never seen you sing angry. That <laughs> that would be interesting. Well, that's because it's in the privacy of my bedroom. Yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> But uh, no, I really, that's some you excellent know what I mean. advice. Yeah. Get, you know, both those two things I think are really interesting. Get in touch with the compassion and get in touch with the rage. Yeah. It's, it, they're both valid. So go wherever you feel like there's maybe even the slightest opening. Like maybe the rage, sometimes rage feels really scary for people. They feel mm. like it's going to mm. swallow them up, mm. which I understand. It won't, but I understand that fear. So maybe then start with the compassion. Or if you're like, that rage is right on top of the service. <laughs> it's, the, can, it's the cherry. It's the, yeah. Right. Like, then go towards the rage a little bit. Um, I think it's really important to start there. And just tell us where we can follow you, find you, and find out more about Chronicon. Sure. The best place is probably Instagram at Nitika Chopra. And we also Spell it have, because yeah. you know people mm-hmm. are going to say Nikita. Yeah. <laughs> It's N-I-T-I-K-A and Chopra, like Priyanka or Deepak, um, C-H-O-P-R-A, <laughs> although we're not related. Um, and yeah, and then Chronicon is Chronic O-N, so there's not two C's in that. Mm-hmm. Um, Chronic O-N official. So Chronicon official is our Instagram and Chronicon.co is the website. But it's, if you go to Instagram, they're all linked in the bio and stuff. Nitty, thank you so much as always. Thank you so much for I'd having me. I'd love to talk me. to you. I talk to you all day. I know, me too. Well, we do, really. We do, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for having me. Isn't she just the best? I hope you guys enjoyed listening to my conversation with Nitika today. She's truly one of my favorite humans to talk to, and I'm obsessed with her voice. It's so good. I love it for a podcast. In fact, she has her own podcast. It's called The Point of Pain, so you can listen to hers, too. I think she's just an incredible advocate for people with chronic illness, and she's really helped and inspired me in so many ways as well. I'm very honored to call her my friend. Before we go, please do us a favor and subscribe to our show. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you go to get podcasts. While you're there, please rate us and give us a review. It'll help more people learn about the show. On Instagram, you can find us at Crisis Text Line, at Jed Foundation, and at Stacy London Real. 
Crisis Text Line and the Jed Foundation produced the show with help from Human Group Media. That's all, guys. We'll see you on the next episode of Could Be Better, TBH. TBH.